trying to disguise yourself as a worker bee. That's you trying to blend in with the hive. But you're not a worker bee. You're a renegade killer bee. Killer bee. Killer bee. Viceberg Slim. I will chop your heads off! Welcome to In Broad Daylight, a solo podcast with your host, Adam Todd Brown. Hey, everybody. Welcome to In Broad Daylight, a solo politics and news podcast hosted by who? Me, Adam Todd Brown. I'm your host, your only host. It's just us. This is the most intimate experience the Unpops Podcast Network has to offer. You, me, in a room together talking about goddamn Donald Trump. Hopefully not forever, though. I mean, at some point, Trump will be out of office and this podcast will be me complaining about whoever's next. Probably Jared Kushner or something like that. Anyway, how's everyone doing? I haven't done one of these episodes in a while. I think we all have probably accepted by now that this podcast is less weekly and more as possible would be the appropriate description for the schedule of this podcast. I'm going to try to get back to doing it weekly here really soon. It's just been chaos with the studio move and all the things that went into that, but uh, we're recovering Speaking of the network, there was no episode of Pretty Scary this week. Don't be alarmed. We just couldn't figure out the scheduling and the uh, time to record. We actually did. We were were supposed to record last night, actually, as you're listening to this. But something came up, didn't work out. It happens. But Pretty Scary will be back next week. As for this podcast in broad daylight, we are talking about Donald Trump as we tend to do some of the episodes have been about other things but man i got lots of feelings on trump did you know that did you know i have significant amounts of things to say about the president of the united states so much so that i have an entire podcast about that motherfucker and yeah i just called the president a motherfucker it's my right anyway there's been kind of an interesting turn of events as it pertains to trump the past couple weeks and by that i mean he uh, seems to be losing some of his support not only some of his support but he seems to be afraid that he might be losing some of the things that he has built his presidency upon the selling points of donald trump as president and that is the economy which is doing pretty all right at the moment well it was until literally just a few days ago when things started uh, seeming like they might might bottom out a little bit. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about all of the support and momentum Trump seems to be losing, even if it's just a perception that he's losing it. Although he seems to be uh, on board with that notion also. And uh, I want to talk about that and uh, some of the, the desperate things he might do to regain that support. So let's get right into it because one of the things happening right now that has caused all of this uproar is there are indicators a recession might be on the way. And 
that's one of those words that we hear and we know it's scary. But aside from we all have less money, I'm, I'm not sure the, the definition of a recession is that well-known of a thing. The loose definition is two straight quarters of declines in real gross domestic product. Somehow, the more specific definition, as decided by the National Bureau of Economic Research, which is the private organization of economists responsible for declaring a recession uh, when one is underway, their definition is a significant decline in economic activity that lasts more than a few months. That seems just as loose as the first definition to me, possibly looser, but whatever. They make the rules, not us. Uh, One interesting quirk about a recession, you don't know what's happening at first. The NBER declares them retroactively. Uh, One example, the Great Recession of 2008, which is the second biggest economic downturn in this country's history, for what it's worth, wasn't declared until November 2008, which was 11 full months after it started. And unfortunately, for our purposes here today, right now, that is literally the most interesting thing about a recession, that you don't know it started until well after it has. That and what happens during a recession, that's kind of interesting also, if that's the word you want to use for it. Uh, If nothing else, it's going to matter to people. For one thing, and most importantly during a recession, jobs disappear. The biggest losses tend to be in manufacturing and industries along those lines, which you would think, oh, well, that's going to cut right to the core when it comes to Trump's base, and that really is going to undo any economic gains he's made throughout his presidency. Pump the brakes. We'll get to that in a second. But uh, jobs that rely on discretionary spending, such as leisure, hospitality, retail, podcast hosting, those will suffer most likely also, as will most other jobs. The only ones that go mostly unharmed are healthcare, government, education, and professional services like legal and accounting. Stocks also tend to bottom out, but they also recover fairly quickly during a recession. I'm legitimately curious how many people listening to this are worried about that part. Because I have no money in the stock market, and I also did not in 2008. So a lot of the blowback from that recession missed me entirely, not because I'm a straight white male, but because I was poor. And if we're talking having money to invest in the stock market, I'm still poor. So that part, I think, probably tends to matter to people less, except for the fact that when the stock market tumbles, there are ripple effects that impact jobs and benefits and all the things of the like. Anyway, if there's any good news, it's that the 2008 recession, which, as I mentioned earlier, has come to be known as the Great Recession, happened at a time when the banking industry was in the midst of a huge crisis. Not sure if you remember that. Uh, And household debt was a huge problem. Not sure if you remember that. Maybe go watch The Big Short. It's a good movie. But both of those things played a big part in making that recession as great as it was, but things have improved on both fronts since then. So if this recession does happen, it will be far less harsh than the one in 2008, which that's good news. But is a recession even coming? And why do some people think that's the case? Well, we're talking about the economy, 
So I'm afraid the answer is kind of fucking boring. It all centers around something called the yield curve. There's a really great explainer article on Vox.com by Matthew Iglesias that goes into lots of details about all the technicalities. And I'll link to, as always, all the sources for this episode on Unpops.com so you can go out and read more. Uh, But the short version of the yield curve thing is that when the yield, which is the return you get on investing in a bond, when the yield for a 10-year bond dips below the yield for a two-year bond. When that happens, historically, a recession follows. And that happened last week. The yield curve inverted, which is what they, that's what they call it, when the 10-year yield dips below the two-year yield. That happened last week. That was enough to send stocks tumbling and to put the Trump administration in damage control mode. So if you flipped on CNN and saw at any point last week, down in the bottom right corner, red numbers showing the stock market dropping, that's why it happened. And somehow going into damage control mode for the Trump administration meant sending out a frantic, possibly drunken Larry Kudlow to appear on Meet the Press to ease everyone's fears and Here's what that sounded like. And joining me now is the president's chief economic advisor, the director of the National Economic Council, Larry Kudlow. Mr. Kudlow, welcome back to Meet the Press, sir. Thank you, Chuck. Appreciate it. Uh, let me start with uh, what you see from the White House. The private sector seems to be concerned about particularly the trade war with China, that, that there are some rough waters ahead, maybe a recession, that those odds have risen. What do you see? Well, I'll tell you what, I sure don't see a recession. We had some blockbuster uh, retail sales consumer numbers uh, towards the back end of last week, really blockbuster numbers. And in fact, um, despite a lot of worries with the volatile stock market, most economists on Wall Street towards the end of the week have been marking up their forecast Mm -hmm. uh, for the third and fourth quarter. That echoes our view. You know, what we've got here... Consumers are working at higher wages. They are spending at a rapid pace. They're actually saving also while they're spending. That's an ideal situation. So I think actually the second half of the economy is going to be very good in 2019. No, I don't see a recession. And let me have just one theme, Chuck. Just one theme. We're doing pretty darn well, my judgment. Let's not be afraid of optimism. We're doing pretty well, my judgment. Let's not be afraid of optimism. That was, uh, of course, economic advisor Harry Carey weighing in on what is uh, apparently completely unfounded rumors about the decline of our economy. Uh, And just joking, that's not Harry Carey. That is Larry Kudlow. If you don't know who Harry Carey is, go Cubs. Anyway, does everyone feel more relaxed after hearing that? Probably not. And it's about to get worse. Because here's the thing. Because he's not talking to Trump, Chuck Todd has no problem challenging Larry Kudlow on what he's saying. And he does it in pretty grand fashion. Let's listen to that. Okay, you say that. But, you know, you actually said that in 2007, right before the war the second worst downturn in American history. This is what you wrote. 
there's no recession coming. This is in December of 07. The pessimistas were wrong. It's not going to happen. The Bush boom is alive and well. It's finishing up its sixth consecutive year with more to come. The more to come was a massive downturn. So I, I, I admire your optimism, but the, the data is pointing in another direction. Well, I plead guilty to that late 2007 forecast. I plead guilty. And that's true. Larry Kudlow was super duper wrong when it came to predicting the 2008 recession. So there's no reason to believe he's right this time around either. And if Trump himself also took to Twitter to let the world know that claims of an impending recession are unfounded, here's a quote. The fake news media is doing everything they can to crash the economy because they think that will be bad for me and my reelection. The problem they have is that the economy is way too strong and we will soon be winning big on trade. And everyone knows that, including China. That sounded more like Bernie Sanders, didn't it? That's fine. But behind the scenes, it is a very different story. According to a few different outlets away from the public eye, Trump has been calling various bankers and CEOs personally to assure them that there's nothing to worry about. The first call, according to Bloomberg, was a conference call with the CEOs of J.P. Morgan Chase, Bank of America, and Citigroup. On top of that, the Washington Post reported that Trump has been privately reaching out to other corporate leaders, also with the same message. Did he ever call Heather Heyer's family, though? I don't think so. Anyway, there is one thing Trump has going for him here. Remember earlier I mentioned that the fields that tend to be impacted least by a recession are healthcare and professional services. Well, at least as of April, those are the two sectors experiencing the most job growth under Trump right now. So if that carries on, we could see a situation where we enter into a recession but Trump keeps a lot of the job gains he's made so far. Manufacturing jobs might go stagnant for a little while, but manufacturing jobs have been stagnant for a while under Trump. Irony alert, I know he promised to bring uh, all of those jobs back. He has not. While that sector is experiencing some growth, it's actually experiencing the least amount of growth Among the sectors that are experiencing growth, there are some that are just still losing jobs left and right. But manufacturing jobs, we haven't added that many anyway, so there aren't that many to lose. And it could very well turn into a thing where the trade war and the tariffs with China make those sectors suffer more for a little longer, but the areas where we've added jobs either just keep adding jobs or don't lose many of the jobs that we've added. And we enter into a recession and at least in 2020 election terms, it doesn't fucking matter. So if you're sitting around with your fingers crossed, just hoping the economy collapses in a way that gets Trump out of office, maybe don't put all your eggs in that basket just yet. Uh, But it's not just the economy that Trump seems to be losing. He also seems to be losing the support of Fox News, which is a pretty big deal. Uh, It's been, his issues with Fox News have been ongoing for a couple months. But just recently, last week, I believe, the network did a survey 
showing Trump losing head-to-head matchups against four of the top Democratic presidential primary candidates. And speaking to a group of reporters, Trump said this, there's something going on at Fox. I'll tell you right now, and I'm not happy with it. He also said that he didn't believe the results of the survey and added, Fox has changed. My worst polls have always been from Fox. He also threw out a quick threat, and this is another quote, and I think Fox is making a big mistake because, you know, I'm the one that calls the shots on that, on the really big debates. So I think what he's threatening there is if Fox News isn't nice to me, they won't get to air any of the 2020 presidential debates. But the problem with that is, no, he doesn't call the shots on that. The Commission on Presidential Debates does that. And they are not controlled by any political party or outside organization. They don't endorse, support, or oppose candidates. They're pretty impartial when it comes to picking the networks where these debates air. So Fox News will have a fucking debate. Yay. Trump also called Fox News host Juan Williams pathetic, nasty, and wrong in a recent tweet. Nasty being a word he normally reserves for women. Uh, But it's not just that he's fallen out with Fox News. He seems to be moving toward having a new favorite network altogether. It's called One America News Network. And here's the thing. Fuck those motherfuckers, too. The network was founded by tech millionaire Robert Herring, who was looking to launch a more conservative alternative to the news networks that were available at the time. So that would include Fox News, I guess. He wants it to be more conservative than Fox News. Is that even possible without just going full Nazi? I guess we'll find out. And as Trump's rift with Fox News has gotten worse, he's praised One America News Network more and more on Twitter. Here's a quote. Watching fake news CNN is better than watching Shepard Smith, the lowest rated show on Fox News. Actually, whenever possible, I turn to One America News Network. He's tweeted links or words of praise for OANN 13 times since March. The network describes itself as straight news, no opinion. But go look at their fucking website. It's pretty obvious just at first glance that that's not what they're dealing in. And not only are they vehemently pro-Trump, they're also very much pro-Russia, right? As, as I went to their website researching this, there's a statement from Vladimir Putin about the nuclear accident that happened in Russia. Since when do we put Vladimir Putin's statements up verbatim on American news media? You ever read one? You ever opened the New York Times or the Washington Post or fucking Fox News and just read a verbatim statement from the Russian president? Probably not. There actually was a story that came out a couple months back about an employee who was tasked with briefing OANN producer Ernest Champel about his new job with the company. And that employee allegedly told Champel, yeah, we like Russia here. That's according to the Daily Beast. Champel quit a few months later. So no wonder Trump loves this network so fucking much. But it's not just Fox News giving Trump the old what for these days. He's also been getting it from former White House Communications Director Anthony Scaramucci. Scaramucci! He went on Fox News recently and said this, We recognize that the president is a clear and present danger to the American society, the American culture. There are many people inside the White House and inside the cabinet. 
I would ask the left to let's create an off ramp for those people. Because when you're trying to reprogram people from a cult, one of the first things you have to do is allow them to change their mind and you have to allow them to have the space to change their mind. Holy shit. I have no idea what most of that means. Create an off ramp. Just stop supporting him, you fucks. But uh, also, how about him calling Trump supporters a cult? And I know he was a Trump supporter also. That's a thing he owns up to and says that uh, criticism over it is perfectly valid. And this is a, a thing I I used to feel very strongly about in one direction, which was if you voted for Trump, if you supported Trump and uh, he got elected, which he did, fuck you forever. But as we get closer to 2020 and the need to win an election against Donald Trump becomes all the more pressing, I'm not 100% sure that is the best path. If Anthony Scaramucci wants to join the resistance, that doesn't sound likely, but fucking go for it, man. The more the merrier. If you don't support Trump, let's talk about it. Let's talk about what we can do to get him out of office. I'm fucking all for it. Even if it's Anthony Scaramucci, the dude, oh, he was only in Trump's administration for 11 days. So it was an affair at best. And I, I feel like this is kind of what we need. We need high profile people who were Trump supporters at one point or were never Trump supporters, but have never spoken on the issue to come out and fucking question what this president's doing and have the courage to challenge the other people in the Republican Party and fucking say something about Trump. I don't think it's going to happen on enough of a scale that any resistance to Trump is going to come from the right. But if you're having regrets, now's the time to talk about it. Maybe you can help us win in 2020. I mean, probably not, but worth a shot. And the thing with all of this is the past couple weeks or maybe even couple months Trump has been under attack more from his side than usual. From Fox News, from Scaramooch, the economy is maybe buckling a little bit. So what it seems like to me is Trump is getting desperate. And one of the things that he does when he gets desperate is he starts trafficking in conspiracy theories. And a lot of times they center around voter fraud. And I know every time he brings this up, we just kind of laugh it off and say, whatever, there's no evidence of that. But at some point we have to start looking him in the eyes and asking what he plans to do with all of this information he claims to possess about illegal votes in the United States. Because if he's going to try and delay an election, we should probably find out early on, maybe by the end of 2019. Something like that. I know we like to wait until Trump literally says he's going to do a thing, and then we give it a couple more months uh, from there before we actually start talking about it. But Trump has said a couple times that, or if he hasn't said it outright, he has implied a couple times that, you know, maybe because of the Mueller probe and the FBI investigating my campaign, and, you know, maybe I deserve a little more time in office than just the requisite four years. And every time he brings up voter fraud that has not happened, he's laying the groundwork to make 
that argument. And as with so many other crazy things Trump has up his sleeve and so many crazy things he's done, we got to be ready for every fucking possibility. There is nothing too crazy for Trump. All the crazy shit that was supposed to never happen leading up to him running for president and through him becoming president, all of it has happened. We don't have a wall yet. That's it. Beyond that, what has he said he would do that he hasn't done? So when he talks about, ah, maybe I'll stay in office a couple more years, fucking take that seriously. It's why he brings up these voter fraud claims so often. And in this case, he's talking about New Hampshire. This is a quote. New Hampshire should have been won last time, except we had a lot of people come in at the last moment, which was a rather strange situation. Thousands and thousands of people coming in from locations unknown, but I knew where their location was. That's what he told a group of reporters before leaving for a campaign rally in New Hampshire. And there's no evidence of this. It's a theory that was pushed by Chris Kobach of the failed voter fraud commission. Remember that? Trump put together a whole commission to look into voter fraud, and they didn't find shit, and he keeps pushing these theories anyway. It was founded by Chris Kobach a while back, based around the idea that 5,000 votes were cast by people with out-of-state driver's licenses, who then did not get an in-state driver's license within the 60 days required by law in New Hampshire. But here's the thing. That's not required by law in New Hampshire. You can vote with an out-of-state driver's license in New Hampshire, and you can register to vote the same day. You can register to vote. You can vote. And because of that, because New Hampshire does what the Constitution calls for and makes it easy for people to vote, that means Trump and his cohorts can point to places like that and argue that, well, that's Democrats actually making it easy for illegal votes to be cast. And the thing about New Hampshire, the Secretary of State's office released a detailed breakdown of the 2016 vote. They found 142 possible cases of voter fraud out of the 725,000 plus ballots cast in New Hampshire. So a number that low points more likely to unintentional voter error than it does voter fraud. But for some reason, Trump in the desperate days of August 2019, we'll probably look back on this as, uh, I don't know, I feel like this period is going to be significant when the Trump story is finally written and done for good, because he does seem to have a tinge of desperation to what he's doing and what he's saying right now, including the idea of buying Greenland, right? Funny stuff. The audience agrees, but I think this is actually more serious than people are making it out to be. It sounds like a joke, and everyone treated it like a joke, and it seemed like the kind of thing that was just going to kind of come and go and be a, a nothing news story. But then Danish Prime Minister Mette Frederiksen said the idea was absurd, and Trump got angry. Because you see, Denmark, Greenland is the property of Denmark. It is a territory of Denmark, because that's still a thing we do in 2019. And this was his quote about 
what she said. It was nasty. I thought it was an inappropriate statement. All she had to do was say, no, we wouldn't be interested. She's not talking to me. She's talking to the United States of America. You don't talk to the United States that way, at least under me. So that sounds perfectly normal and like what a United States president would say and nothing we should be worried about, right? He also took to Twitter and extended the fight beyond Denmark and on to NATO. This is a quote from Twitter. We protect Europe and yet only eight of the 28 NATO countries are at the 2% mark. Okay, so keep that quote and what it means in mind as you listen to this next quote. Because what Trump is kind of implying there is that we've been paying a lot of money to protect Europe and other NATO countries aren't paying their fair share. With NATO countries, there's an agreement that each country spends 2% of their own GDP on their own defense so as to prove they aren't relying solely on NATO and by default the United States for their protection. And a lot of countries in NATO don't spend that 2% currently. Now, he's not saying it, but the next place to leap from there, from Trump's tweet, is that we're owed something. So now let's get to that next quote, which is from Constance Stelzenmuller, a German scholar at the Brookings Institute. Here's his quote. The president's anger and his menacing tweet about Danish defense spending reignites Europeans' worst fears about the U.S. commitment to NATO. Presumably, the administration isn't considering foreclosure, but is selling our territory now a proof of fealty for President Trump? Foreclosure! What an interesting word that is. Because one thing to keep in mind, we're already in Greenland. We already have a significant military presence in Greenland, and we have access to that part of Greenland through a lease agreement. We pay to lease a certain section of Greenland from Denmark so we can have a military base there. So foreclosure is a very interesting word in that last quote, because as of 2018, Denmark spent 1.2% of their GDP on defense. And by 2023, that will increase to 1.5%. So still well below the 2% threshold members are supposed to maintain. Now let's crunch some numbers. As of 2017, the GDP of Denmark was $324.9 billion. If they spent 1.2% of that on defense, that amounts to around $3.8 billion. If they had spent 2%, that would be closer to $6.5 billion. So a difference of around $2.7 billion. And when you couple that with the fact that the United States has been spending more than 2% of our very considerable GDP on our own defense and chipping in a whole lot extra to defend our NATO allies, what's stopping Trump from going in front of NATO and saying, hey, you all owe us a bunch of money, but we'll forgive it all if you let us have Greenland. I know, I know, I know other NATO countries would be irate. And that is what you listening to this at home are relying on to keep this from happening. But here's my question about other NATO countries becoming irate. So what? What are they going to do about it? And I'm not saying so what because I would agree with a move like this. But what are NATO countries going to do to the United States if we come to them with a request like this? Are they going to kick us out? 
I don't think so because I honestly think our next course of action would be to say, well, if you don't give us Greenland, we're just going to pull out of NATO and you can fend off Russia and protect your part of Europe on your own. And then what? You think the other NATO countries are going to fucking invade us? We have military bases in all of their countries already. We already occupy their fucking countries. What are they going to do? Are they going to reject our proposal and potentially start a world war? Or are the rest of the NATO countries going to lean on Denmark and go, hey, maybe you should give up Greenland because uh, we don't want the United States to leave us defenseless against Russia. And here's the thing. If we pulled out of NATO, we'd probably still take Greenland. But why? That seems to be the real question here. And most news outlets are just approaching it like, well, you know, there's a lot of resources. We probably just want all the natural resources. Or there's, uh, it is strategically important, especially in fending off Russia and China. But honestly, and I, this was my immediate thought. You can, if you go look at the Unpops Discord, the minute someone posted this and people were laughing it up, my first reply was, what if it's about immigration? And I feel like I am now one of two people who have mentioned this idea. I heard someone just casually bring it up on CNN and immediately get shot down with that classic, well, we're not going to peddle in conspiracy theories comment, but this is Trump we're talking about. We know this many years in that we should be expecting the worst when it comes to Trump and all of our checks and balances and means of diplomacy, rules of decorum and etiquette. None of that shit matters anymore. And you have to think about where we are as a country right now, as it pertains to immigration. We have just signed into law a bill that will allow us to detain migrants and their children indefinitely. We are throwing people in detention centers. It's becoming a huge fucking PR nightmare. What are we going to do? Are we just going to keep people in detention centers forever? That would be a very bad look, especially if people start dying. Are we going to send people back to the countries they're fleeing as refugees? That would also be a pretty bad look. What if we could send them to a third place, a place like Greenland, where it's beautiful, albeit kind of icy, but global warming, baby, that ice is melting. There was one person who mentioned, just mentioned the possibility that this could be an immigration and detention thing. And they were immediately told to not peddle in conspiracy theories, which how is that a conspiracy theory? Trump is going to have to figure out what to do with all of the people we're putting in detention facilities. Greenland is the biggest island on earth. If you think Trump wouldn't consider deporting people to Greenland as a more humane alternative to sending them back to the country they came here from, you're wrong. And you know you're wrong. You know goddamn well he would consider it. And it's not a thing, it's not like it's a thing other countries haven't done. Look at how Australia, one of our brothers in the Five Eyes, which is the group of mostly white countries that share intelligence information and operations with each other. Look at how Australia handles refugees coming to their country granted australia is an island all unto itself but that's exactly what they do they put people seeking asylum on a fucking 
island while they wait to have their cases heard. If I'm not mistaken, Denmark does the same goddamn thing. I wouldn't be at all surprised if part of this Greenland story turns into Trump saying, hey, we've been helping you for decades and decades and decades with your defense so you don't get invaded by Russia. Well, now we have a crisis here. We have an immigration crisis and we need a place to put all these people. Can we send them to Greenland? And Greenland says no. And we say, fuck that. You owe us. How do we solve this? I know that's all crazy to hear and it sounds crazy, but this is Trump. You have to expect crazy. So I don't know. As laughable as it is, don't be surprised if this Greenland story not only does not go away, but becomes significantly more intense and scarier over the next few months. Or maybe it's nothing. What do I know? What I do know is that's the end of this episode. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. I don't think I have anything to plug. I just know I've been drinking full-strength Mountain Dew throughout this entire episode, and I got to piss. So I am going to get the fuck out of here. Goodbye, everybody. I love you.